This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? I'm good, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great this morning. Uh, just to let our listeners know uh, what's coming up on the show in uh, shortly after the first break. Uh, we'll be talking to Pat Stapleton, of course. Uh, the sad news this week of the passing of, uh, of, a, of a legendary hockey player, Stan Makita. And uh, we sort of forget how great of a hockey player, I mean, not so forget, but it's been a long while. And Stan Makita certainly was one of the greats of, of his generation. And uh, we want to talk about one of his uh, friends and teammates, uh, Pat Stapleton. We'll be talking to Pat Stapleton. Of course, the Boys of Autumn are back. Uh, we're talking the Boys of Autumn uh, south of the 49th parallel, the NFL. And uh, they're back into their training camps, back into their preseason. And the Buffalo Bills played their first preseason game of the week uh, for of the year this uh, this past week, and we'll be pleased to talk to uh, John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I know, Naz, you're a big Bills fan, so I know uh, we're thrilled to have John back on the back on the line and see where uh, size up the Buffalo Bills for this season. And right at the end of the show, short little uh, promo feature, Carmen and Marc Antonio is going to be coming on just for a couple of minutes to tell us about an event, a soccer event coming up in the Toronto area. Next weekend, the under-17 Toronto Vaughan under-17 uh, local uh, youth cup uh, with uh, Juventus under-17 coming in to play some uh, local under-17s. Went to see it last year. It's some fantastic soccer. We'll chat very, very briefly with Carmen and Marc Antonio about that. Anyways, Naz, uh, what do we got with you today? We got Alabama Blue Jays and, and Alabama. Blue Jays. Uh, the Blue Jays had, I'm not so sure about, but uh, Alabama. The future, Wally, the future. <laughs> Anyways, big event today. It's the fourth major. In, and I know Naz, we were, oh my we're God. chatting. Here we go again, Tiger again. <laughs> I know we were ch- I was chatting with my co-host, my my uh, my friend and my brother here, Naz Marchese, before the show. Uh, I'm the big passionate golf uh, guy on the show, and uh, Naz, I know you love golf, but uh, uh, I just brought up the fact that it's the fourth major uh, going on right now, the PGA at Bell Reve in St. Louis, Missouri. And Tiger's in the hunt today, and you gave you shook your head and say, "You're not really going to make me talk about Tiger again, aren't you? Tired of that?" So Naz, uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm going to take a minute to say, you know, Tiger's in the hunt. He's uh, four strokes out. Um, didn't putt. Uh, didn't putt all that well. His flat stick wasn't working that great yesterday, and. Uh, if there's a 65 or 66 in Tiger's uh, bag, uh, he might do something special today. Brooks Kepka is a tough nut to crack, though. Yeah, he, he didn't show much in the Canadian Open. I don't think he wanted to play that uh, 
that tournament, but uh, he's pretty tough. Hits the ball a ton. Yeah. And uh, some other interesting guys in the mix. Adam Scott. Yeah, he came out of nowhere. Yep. last couple of years, he hasn't done much. And uh, he's in the mix today. Ricky Fowler, uh, Jason Day, uh, and the Italian sensation, Francesco Molinari. He's hanging around as well. So uh, I'll put it to you this way, Naz. I know you, you're, you're, you're tired of talking Tiger, but if somehow Tiger gets himself into the mix uh, uh, and is down to the last two or three holes and he's, uh, he's right there, uh, I think the ratings are going to go through the roof. I, th- I think they're, you know, the uh, golf fans uh, around the world are just just waiting for him to uh, to win another major. It's just it would be an explosion uh, in the golf world, and uh, he's got to get that putter working. Uh, this this may or may not be the day. He hasn't been able to uh, bring it home yet, but uh, somewhere someday he's going to crack through. I'm just I'm getting that feeling. I, I think this is the best he's played out of all the majors so far. Is this tournament here? So he's really played well here. Yeah, he was in the hunt at the British Open. I remember uh, on 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 uh, Sunday at the British Open, it was I think on the twelfth or thirteenth hole. He was leading. He was leading, and my my phone, uh, all my golf buddies were buzzing me like crazy, just just you know uh, saying, "Look, if you're not watching, you might want to turn on your TV." And uh, and uh, he wasn't able to take it to the finish line in that one. Uh, today today might be the day, Naz. Well, Tita Green, he's been his best in this tournament because he's he's been a consistent, very consistent in this tournament. After the first two holes of the tournament, yeah, he, he bogeyed and double bogeyed the first two holes. I also did want to mention today is the final of the Rogers Cup uh, tennis. Uh, we gave away some uh, prize packages the last couple of weeks, and I actually got the opportunity to uh, chat with a couple of our listeners who uh, made arrangements to pick up those packages. And to those listeners that I chatted with, thank you for. The nice comments on on our show, and hope you enjoyed your time at the Rogers Cup Tuesday and Wednesday night. Um, we uh, we spent some time with it. It's sponsored. One of the key sponsors is one of our sponsors, Pizzaville, and uh, I always want to take the opportunity to thank our sponsors at Pizzaville f- uh, for uh, supporting us for all these years and providing us those packages. It's a great event this afternoon at the at the Rogers. Uh, I think it's the Aviva Center up at York University. Nadal and the young Greek sensation, Stefanos Tsitsapas. Uh, I probably pronounced that wrong. I'm not attempting that at all. <laughs> I probably pronounced <laughs> it wrong, but he's been uh, he's been lighting it up up at the Rogers Center. He's, he's celebrating his 20th birthday today, and he's up against one of the greats of all time in uh, Rafael Nadal. Per- so per- we wish the we wish the young uh, uh, the young Greek uh, uh, excellent player. He's taken out four of the top ranked players in the world this week. And if he wins today, what could be a more perfect day to win for him? 20th birthday, and he can go celebrate on the Taste of the Danforth afterwards. So uh, uh, to all our listeners, if you're tennis fans, uh, you get an opportunity to to watch it, to get up there. And once again, thanks to the good people at Pizzaville for uh, for sponsoring it and sponsoring our show. Uh, It's great, great pizza. And the owners, Angelo, Stephanie, Nell, and all the... All the girls want me to remind our listeners they are Canadian-owned, proud Canadian family uh, in this uh, world we live in. They asked us to remind people about that. Uh, certainly support them if you can. Naz, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, very quickly, uh, Johnny Menzel, we talked about him. 
Your uh, your thoughts on his played performance? Played well last night. He played well. That's a terrible team he plays for, though. The Alouettes stink. They really do. They're a, they're a really bad team. They gave up almost 600 yards offense, even though they stayed in the game. 600 yards. Yeah. The score could have been another 20 points. My prediction, Johnny Menzel. Uh, I was kind of sorry that the Argos didn't pick him up. Uh, I thought he would have, I, you know, I thought with his star power, you know, Toronto would have been the perfect market for him. But from a per- football perspective, perhaps Jim Pop and uh, uh, Mark uh, and Mark Cressman had different thoughts, and I respect that. Um I think if his if he and it certainly he's saying all the right things at this point in time. Um, if he if he stays focused and he makes that commitment, uh, he certainly was uh, interviewed and said he's committed to playing in the CFL for a couple of years. Uh, obviously, he will go when the time comes. Uh, if he's good enough and the NFL will take him back, there's no, every expectation that he'll go back there. I kind of like uh, how he rebounded from his first performance. Uh, he looked pretty good last night. Um, I think I think uh, I think he can be a star in this league. Once again, if if uh, he came here to play football and he came here to be a good teammate and he came here to train and he came here to understand the game, I think he's got all the tools at his disposal. So we wish him the best of luck. Yeah, I think he's going to be fine. He'll, he'll do fine. Anyways, uh, we're going to go to break. Uh, we're going to come back after the break. We're going to talk to Pat Stapleton, former Chicago Blackhawk, Team Canada 72 uh, member, and uh, we'll be talking about Hood, his good friend, Stan Makita, who passed away this week. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I travelled to Italy to explore my Italian heritage. I'm in Modena, birthplace of Pavarotti. When I knocked on my cousin's door, he opened it and said, My long-lost cousin, you finally come home. You must now marry my neighbour's sister. I said I had to get something in the car and never went back. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. 
The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. If you're listening in downtown Toronto, we're also on 96.7 FM. On the internet, live video streaming at www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Chicago Blackhawk legend Pat Stapleton. Good morning, Pat. How are you this morning? You know, I happen to be perfect, gentlemen, because you're in my life. <laughs> thanks so much, Pat. Uh, and thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, Pleasure. Well, uh, there's a gentleman this week that uh, I know that... Uh, you played with and were friends with and sort of grew up with. Uh, uh, of course, we're talking about uh, the legend Stan Makita. And, be, and before I, I ask my first question of you, Pat, um, you know, I'd heard that Stan had passed away and made me pause and reflect. And uh, not that we had forgotten the great player that Stan Makita was. Uh, in certain ways, sometimes he got overshadowed by Bobby Orr and Gordie Howe and perhaps, uh, but there's no question that Stan Makita was one of the greatest hockey players that ever played the game. Uh, he, in fact, would be, he, it, the argument can be made uh, quite easily that he was the greatest hockey player of the 1960s. Uh, Gordie Howe perhaps was at the tail end of his career by then, and Bobby Orr didn't, uh, didn't get going to the late 60s. And I can't think of anybody that was better than Stan Makita from the years 1960 to 1970, other than perhaps Bobby Hull and the other, guy, other players in that conversation might be Keon Mahovlich and Beliveau. But Makita was up with the greats of the game. Um, your, your reflections on how great of a hockey player Stan Makita was? Well, you know, you mentioned that we sort of grew up together. As 14-year-olds, we competed against one another. And then again, at 17, we become teammates in St. Catharines and then eventually teammates in Chicago. So I did have probably 10 years with him over that span that we were teammates. So um, I would say Stan was uh, uh, one of the best. And then again, it's depending on what part of the country you're in. Uh, where that's recognized. But as a, a teammate, uh, there was none better um, the way he played the game and what, how he played the game. And he could play the game any way he wanted to play the game. And uh, he, he was an intelligent athlete. Um, you saw what he did. He was rough and tough and then said, wait a minute, I'm not helping my team. And he turned right around and won the Lady Bing two or three years in a row, uh, along with the heart and the 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 Ross and all the scoring titles. So, you know, in the mid sixties, 66 to 70, you know, he, he was the man for sure. So Pat, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things uh, that uh, happened was uh, the, the curve stick and Stan Makita was the guy that kind of discovered that it wasn't he. Well, you know, I often kid him. I said, you know, how good you'd be if they ever let you use a straight stick. You know, he, he had this banana curve, and he could handle it. There was no question about it, but we always used to joke about it, but how good he would have been if, they, if he'd have used a straight stick, right? Not everybody could handle that stick. Uh, uh, we're talking to Pat Stapleton. Pat, of course, uh, uh, Stan uh, did something that uh, no, no other hockey player's ever done in this league uh, in the entire history of the NHL. He won the MVP 
You won the Art Ross Trophy, leading scorer, and, and the Lady Bing Trophy yes. in two consecutive seasons. Uh, yes. Never been done before, may never be duplicated again. Uh, and certainly a superstar. But I heard, I, I saw a quote, um, and I don't know if it was your quote or it was a quote from a, from a local Chicago reporter, that he was the least pretentious superstar that one could ever absolutely imagine, uh, which speaks to Stan's, uh, Stan's personal character. Uh, tell us a little bit about the man, Stan Makita. Well, you know, Stan was humanitarian, too. I mean, a lot of people don't know he started that deaf hockey school with a, a Irv Tienebeck and for his son Les, and it's still going today. Um, you know, these boys are, were hard of hearing, and uh, Stan often joked, oh, that's the way it was when I come to this country. I could hear them, but I didn't know what they were saying, right? So uh, he said he fit right in with the boys who could not hear, and I think they've expanded it to girls in the hockey. So, um, a great, great man that way, and a great family man. Uh, you know, Stan did it all. He was very quiet, very humble, and yet quite witty. He was very funny. He uh, enjoyed a good laugh and enjoyed a good joke and uh, just was one of the guys. Pat, I hear that you and uh, Stan were the <laughs> uh, pranksters on the team. Tell me a bit. Tell me one that you remember. I didn't quite hear get that question. You were one of the biggest pranksters on the team, oh, along with Stan Mikita, <laughs> and I like to know one of the issues, one of the uh, great stories. Great stories. Oh, I mean, th- those are all just human interest stories for the dressing room <laughs> that you have fun with one another, and it keeps it loose. And Stan never took himself real serious. I mean, he wasn't uh, that type of guy. He he had dressed in loud clothes and. Uh, you know, that was him, and spent a lot of time preparing for games. <clears throat> so, to think back at one thing, I don't know whether there'd be one thing that I could say that the, your, your audience would enjoy, but it's <laughs> just a little kibitzing in the dressing room with things. And, uh, you know, he, he'd go into the airport and grab one of those things and request somebody on the phone, right? That sort of thing. So he'd go, you know, he could call in the, uh, the thing and get so-and-so, to report to so-and-so, and people would, you know, especially rookies, would be running around trying to figure out where there was a phone to take this call, right? So, <laughs> so. I understand Keith Magnuson was always the, was always at the uh, receiving end of uh, one of wow. your, one of Stan's pranks. Uh, I, I've read, I've read on the internet the infamous snipe story. It might be too, oh, lo- yeah. it might, might take too long to tell that story here. Oh, that's but, right. Well, a lot of them have got caught in that. <laughs> But I understand uh, it was you and Stan that uh, kept on kept on telling Keith Magnuson he had been traded, uh, and uh, those kind of things travel through the dressing room. You know, they're just fun things that uh, happen when you have a group of people that are, you know, trying to relieve a little bit of pressure or whatever it is, and just joke with one another. So Uh, we're talking to Pat Stapleton, Pat uh, Stan Makita. one of the greatest hockey players who's ever played the game. Uh, obviously, one of the great players of his gen, great centers of his generation. Um, arguably, the greatest uh, hockey player who played uh, in, in the '60s, which was an, uh, an incredible time to play hockey. Uh, what made Stan Makita such a great hockey player? Oh, you know, for one thing, he had tremendous talent, but his competitiveness—he he was very competitive. 
that you playing pools in the dress golf or Oh, we got a bad signal. Uh, Pat, are you still with us? I can hear you. Uh, uh, keep keep trying the signals going in and out. Uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, finish your thoughts. Uh, but he did have a lot of talent to go with it for for some reason. It could be God given talent that he had, but he he could think that maybe. Uh, uh, Pat, I'm I'm going to ask. Uh, we're going to quickly let you go. I'm going to ask our producer to see if he can get you back on the line. Um, our our cell signals going in and out. Got a couple of more questions we'd like to ask you. So, Sebastian, if. Uh, Perhaps we can give it a shot to get uh, Pat back on the line. Perhaps we can get a better signal. Uh, Pat, just uh, we'll try and get a hold of you again. Uh, Naz, uh, Stan Mikita, your recollections? He sort of uh, it was it was an Aaron hockey. Um, um, you know, he played. Uh, he was he was the ultimate hockey player, but he played with one of the most electrifying hockey players of all time. And, of course, when you thought about the Chicago Blackhawks in that era, uh, we had uh, we had Bobby Hall and we had Stan Mikita. And, uh, they, they had Phil Esposito at one time there, too, right? That was, that was The 67 team was powerful. Anyways, Pat, have we got you back on the line? Yep. Oh, great. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, it's good to have you back. We just, uh, we had had a, your, your, the signal had gone in and out, and you were just talking about, we were just talking about how great of a hockey player Stan Makita was, and you were, you were uh, sort of describing what made him such a great player, and uh, if you could uh, go over some of those thoughts again, we sort of missed them in the, in the, in the transmission. Well, you know, first of all, I think he had a lot of God-given talent. He was a talented athlete whether he wanted to play hockey or football or baseball, he just had that natural talent. And then he had that competitiveness in him that wanted to be the best. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty good combination when, when you're competitive and, and you've got some talent. And he displayed that uh, throughout his career. To play 21 years is a you know statement in itself for that game. It certainly is. Uh... Interesting part about the Stan Makita story is uh, he wasn't born in Canada. Uh, he came here at the age of eight. He was, uh, I wouldn't say separated from his family, but his parents. Uh, he was born in Czechoslovakia, as it then was. Um, and uh, in uh, later on, when he was eight years old, I think that would have been about 1948, uh, his parents sent him over to Canada to live with his aunt and uncle. And, of course, that probably wasn't the easiest thing um, and probably toughened him up a little bit. Um, and then he got an opportunity I want you to talk about, Pat, because when I, when, I, when I reread this story yesterday, I'd, I'd totally forgotten about it. Uh, he got the – I mean, of course, you uh, 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 were on Team Canada 72, went over to Moscow. Stan Makita was on that team. Uh, you played in Moscow, you won Game 8, uh, you thrilled the nation, um, one of the, if not the greatest hockey series of all time, uh, I, I can't think of any, anyone that had more of a dramatic effect. And after... I, I, think, I think what you're saying, it was the greatest comeback, <laughs> probably, of any team, because of the way it was set up. There's no question that that was a great comeback behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, with the strange conditions, but I think where you're heading 
is to the game in yeah. Prague. Uh, where a lot I'm of people wh- don't, don't realize that we had to play another game against the world champions yeah, in it- Prague. And, I mean, I, can, I wish I could explain to the, your audience how uh, he was received as an athlete, uh, you know, because they had followed him. There's no question uh, that the people from Czechoslovakia or Slovakia had uh, followed Stan, and then it's just an unbelievable reception for an athlete when before the game. And then Stan spoke after in his native tongue. Uh, we had to get together. Uh, it was pretty emotional, and his mother and sister were there. And, um, you know, uh, it was to see them and then see them walk away at the end when they had to leave him. It was uh, very high and very low, if you know what I mean. But well, I, I can only imagine. And just yeah. to... Um, a little bit more on, on that story, Pat. Um, yeah, people have forgotten, as you mentioned. Uh, I, th- I think the team, uh, the, the, the team Canada-Russia Game 8 came on a, on a Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. And then you guys, everybody thought everything was over, but you had another game. And you had, oh, to go, yeah. you had to go to Prague, which was two days later on a Saturday, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I, I can't remember the day. Yeah. I really, I don't remember the actual yeah. day of the week it was, but we did. We had to go over there. We left Russia the next morning at 7 a.m. after we finished the game and that night. If it was a Thursday night, if you say, the next morning, Friday morning at 7 a.m., we were on the buses leaving. And the interesting part of leaving, we left in a snowstorm. The actual flights were delayed two or three hours with a snowstorm. Now you're talking about the 29th of September, and it was snowing, and snowing hard. I, I want to ask you this question, Pat, because uh, your recollections of this and what it would have meant to Stan, I mean, you know, having come over, you know, we, we forget now that Czechoslovakia was an Iron Curtain country oh, yeah. in 1968. It was dominant, it was ruled by the Soviet Union with an iron fist. There wasn't free passage of people in and out. It wasn't that easy for uh, for Czechoslovakians to travel in those days to get in and out. Uh, and then Stan Mikita comes home, and they That's made it. him, and he hadn't, you know, to be quite frank, he, uh, I don't think he had played much after the third or fourth game in, in the Soviet series, but they made him captain. Uh, he, he was assistant captain. Yeah. Uh, and, and there was four assistants, and for that game, they recognized the stand's value and made him captain. Yes, Harry Sinden and the coaching staff did that. So. Any recollection at all in your memory, Stan, uh, of, uh, uh, sorry, Pat, any recollection at all uh, from you as to when when Stan Makita found out that he was going to be the honorary captain? To no, I, I don't remember anything, but I could honestly say I don't think Stan was that emotional of a guy. You know, he wasn't, uh, you know, high and low that way. Even Keel, he um, he accepted what, what it was, and, and it was an honor for him and the fans and the uh, people of Czechoslovakia certainly accepted him warmly. I don't know whether I ever heard such an ovation and for the length of it for an athlete uh, when they started the game. Uh, it was uh, a nice honor for Stan, and I think he mentioned it in his book, too, so... Pat, uh, I understand that Stan Mikita was uh, probably the most popular player in uh, in Chicago with the Blackhawks because of his uh, visibility staying in the community. Did you find that? Well, Stan was one of the first guys that stayed. 
if you know what I mean. The, the players before used to go in, they come from all over, mostly from Canada, go into Chicago, play their season, and then leave. And then Stan stayed in Chicago and, and made a life for himself there. Uh, after his first year, he just stayed and become part of the community. So, um, as I say, he was one of the first guys to do that. Uh, we've been talking to Pat Stapleton uh Pat, uh, we just want to thank you so much for taking the time for us this morning and uh, brought back, uh, helping us uh, bring back some very, very fond memories of a great, great hockey player and a great human being. Of course, I'm talking well, you know, about... Go ahead. You're right. And, you know, you you think as, as a player, as a, as a teammate and all that, you've heard everything about Stan that you could. But the other day, uh, somebody brought it to my attention that Stan has a, an honorary doctorate of law at uh, Brock University. I think it was Dr. Barry Wright. And I, I didn't remember that or hadn't heard that, but he was in 1973. He was honored uh, with that doctorate. So Stan has covered the gamut. He's uh, uh, been pretty well recognized. And then the love that's poured out over the last, uh, what, seven or eight days or six days is pretty obvious that uh, he was a well-respected athlete. So. Well, he certainly was, and uh, so many uh, so many like you and so many of your generation, <clears throat> Pat, um, have our undying loyalty and our undying uh, respect. Uh, I know 2022 is right around the corner, and um, it's going to be 50 years. It's really, really hard to believe, and... Uh, um, it's certainly something um, worth worth celebrating, and uh, certainly you know, look. F- our, our guys want to thank Zoomer Radio too, and Zoomer itself, because uh, we we did the project with them last year, and it's our guys. We figured out we've got to give back uh, because this team has been so honored. So we thank Zoomer. We thank Zoomer Radio. We we thank all of them there for you know, recognize the fact that we're in that age bracket. We're, we're part of the Zoomer group. <laughs> we certainly are, Pat. Uh, and, and and we take uh, your thanks and say you're welcome, and we give all of our thanks in return. Uh, well, it just shows Moses is a leader. He, he uh, has led this whole group. I thought it was spectacular. And if you've had a chance to watch the, the hour show, I mean, how emotional three or four of our guys got after 45 years kind of tells the story it certainly does and pat yeah. we will continue to tell that story and uh we hope to have you on again soon so we can keep uh, keep telling that story we so do i because i'll still be on this earth right <laughs> that's it you sure yeah. will we, we've been <laughs> talking th- it's April. always a pleasure it's thanks, our thanks. it's our pleasure thanks so much pat thanks for honoring stan too thank you certainly uh that of course was uh pat uh, pat stapleton talking about stan makita uh we're going to go to break as soon as we're back from the break, uh, we're going to try and have on the air John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I realised there comes a time when one must ask the question, who am I? Sure, I'm known for my suave, silky voice, my leading man good looks, especially now that the rash on my forehead has cleared up. But who are my ancestors? The people who made me, me. I had my DNA tested, and as it turns out, I'm 73% Italian. No wonder I had chest hair in grade two. It all makes sense now. The first words I spoke were with my hands. That's why I love Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. It's as Italian as the country I'm from. 
I've decided to visit the old country and explore my Italian roots. You can come too. Now, where'd I put my tight pants? Stay tuned for my Italian trip home. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. Bridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour the voice of the Buffalo Bills, John Murphy. Good morning, John. How are you this morning? Good morning, fellas. How are you doing today? We're doing great. Thanks so much. And first of all, uh, John, congratulations from both Naz and I. I understand you're starting on your 15th season as the voice of the Bills, uh, play-by-play, and uh, we congratulate you on that uh, accomplishment. Well, thank you. Yeah, it goes fast. (laughs) You look up, all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, this is your 15? Okay. Uh, anyways, John, uh, you know that uh, we're not uh, we're not ashamed to uh, to say this. Uh, we've discussed it on the air before. Naz and I are Buffalo Bills fans. Uh, we've got a obviously there's a lot of Buffalo Bills uh, loyal Buffalo Bills fans in the Southern Ontario area, and of course our signal reaches into Western New York. So it's that time of year again, John. Uh, we're getting uh, getting excited about the Buffalo Bills season. The first preseason game against the Panthers. Uh, your thoughts on how the Bills held up the other night? Well, they lost, so you start with that. They lost by 5, 28-23, but, you know, they played pretty well, and uh, they they um, addressed and answered a lot of the questions that Bills fans had, at least, you know, early answers. Um, a lot of people, you know, following the quarterback battle, uh, A.J. McCarron, Nathan Peterman, and the rookie Josh Allen, and all three of them played pretty well, I thought, last Thursday night against Carolina. A lot of people worried about the offensive line with the departures of Eric Wood and Richie Incognito and the first team offensive line did well. Um, you know, there's there's issues and there's is, there's problems that they're going to have to address. But I think overall it was a generally positive performance by the Bills and uh, many Bills fans were encouraged by what they saw. John, one of the strengths of this team looks like the defense. What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree. And the defense first teamers played well, and they played without some key players uh, who were either held out, uh, you know, just to give them a night off or, or because of injury. Um, but you know, the defense last year had good moments, but when it was all said and done at the end of the year, the Bills' defense was ranked 26th in the league. They had a horrible three-game stretch in November where they just couldn't stop anybody. Um, the uh, Patriots, the Saints, or, or the Chargers, and uh, that that kind of ruined their defensive stats. But they needed help, and they got it. They went out and signed uh, Starlo Tulele uh, from the Carolina Panthers, a big, uh, strong interior defensive lineman who played the other night and played well and came pretty much as advertised. They signed a defensive end, Trent Murphy, who's had uh, four good years with uh, Washington, and uh, he has been out of the lineup for the last week and a half now with a uh, groin injury. They need him in the lineup because he provides kind of a – a good uh, pass rush, uh, uh, you know, uh, on the other side of Jerry Hughes. And they drafted in the first round, along with the quarterback, they drafted a linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds, who has been sensational. He didn't make huge plays last Thursday, but, um, you know, they're asking him to do a lot. They're asking him to relay the defensive signals from the sideline and get people lined up and play linebacker. And uh, so far he's looked up to the task. It doesn't look like it's too much to ask him at all. What's your feeling on who will be the starting quarterback game one? Will it be McCarron, Allen, or Peterman? I don't know. Um, you know, Thursday night they started Nathan Peterman, the lone holdover from last year's roster, and he played really well, completed his first nine passes, finished nine of ten, uh, backed up by McCarron, uh, a veteran who's uh, you know only had four or five starts in his short time in the league. And then the rookie, Josh Allen, played the entire second half. As I said, they all played well. I would, you know, they've got time now. The the season opens a month from today um, on the road at Baltimore, but they don't have a whole lot of time. And I think uh, talking to Sean McDermott, the head coach, the other day, he is kind of, you know, feels like he's a little bit under the gun, got to make a decision on a quarterback shortly. And I think um, he's going to use at least this next preseason game next Friday night as an opportunity to take a more in-depth look. I, I went on our radio show Friday and said I hope they – start the rookie Friday night against uh, Cleveland, Josh Allen, just to see. He had some he had some good moments and some good throws against uh, Carolina last last week, and I'd like to see him uh, work with the first team and play against the first team and, and see how he holds up there. Um, but I don't know if uh, McDermott's going to go that way. He may go to McCarron or may go back to Peterman. Uh, they, they, uh, when you ask Coach uh, McDermott about it, he says, we're following our plan, and I asked him the other day, when did you come up with this plan? He said, oh, you know, this has been months in the making. So um, we'll see. We'll see what they do. I don't – if I had to put money down on it, I would think, you know, McCarron would be the safe choice and, and maybe coaches favor safe choices. But I'm hoping that Josh Allen has more to show and does it uh, sooner rather than later and maybe gets a chance to start on opening day September 9th. We're talking to uh, we're talking to John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills, and also host of the John Murphy Show. Uh, John, uh, of course, the big story. There's <laughs> there's no secret. The big story about this Bills team is Josh Allen. Uh, Bills traded up to draft him, and he's got in quotate what they call a big arm. Uh, your your uh, your first impressions of Josh Allen. What do you see? What do you like? Yeah, I have a lot of impressions and like an awful lot. And you don't have to put the big arm in quotations. He's got a big arm. He's got the, <laughs> he's got the best arm in this camp with the Bills. And really uh, an unusually strong arm, which is, you know, it's not everything, but it's something. And it's, it's I think, part of the one of the traits, part of the raw material that go into having a successful NFL quarterback. Uh, it, it was really fun last Thursday night. Josh Allen came in. The Bills got the second half kickoff, started about their own 25-yard line. First play, uh, offense coordinator Brian Dable 
dies up a deep sideline pass. Josh Allen launched it 65 yards in the air, a strike that just was out of bounds a little bit. The intended target, uh, Robert Foster from Alabama, could not get both feet down in bounds. But it, it, it electrified the uh, stadium, 61,000 people there last Thursday night, just because it was like, it was his calling card. It was like, here, look at this arm. Look what this guy can do. That's what Dayball was saying, and he did it. Um, you know, Josh needs... Uh, a lot, a lot of seasoning, obviously, and he's never played in the NFL before, so that uh, stands to reason. As far as a, a passer, I can see where he sometimes struggles with short uh, passes. Um, maybe needs a little bit more touch on his shorter passes. Although he threw a touchdown pass to another rookie, Ray Ray McLeod, Thursday night that was right on the money, about 18 yards out of the end zone, a perfect strike. But um, there's more to it than just being a passer, obviously. There's command of the huddle, which you know, all reports were he, he did pretty well last Thursday night. Command of the offense, which, you know, he's a couple of months into the Buffalo playbook. And just experience, you know, which he can't get until he plays. But I think the future looks bright for him. I, I thought Thursday night he looked uh, very good and uh I am hoping that we get a chance to see more of him this summer before we get to the regular season. John, for a big guy, he showed a lot of mobility. Uh, I was very impressed. Yeah. Very, very impressed. He can run the ball, too. Yes, he can. He is. Yeah, he is. He's very athletic. And, you know, we, you try to obviously find quarterbacks to compare him to that you're familiar with. Some people settle on the guy he played against the other night or the team they played against, Cam Newton. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's not a, a quick runner like Tyrod Taylor or elusive like Tyrod, but. He seems to have a knack for knowing where to go and knowing when to bail out of the pocket and run downfield, and he would be tough to bring down. He's a very, I think, a very athletic quarterback, and and that could be built into the Buffalo offense as well. Uh, Talking to John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills, and the other thing about Josh Allen, um, we know what his physical skills uh, are. Uh, um, Let's talk a little bit about Josh Allen uh, the, uh, the the human being uh, apparently uh, he's been described as having uh, being polite, which is uh, it's always nice to hear about a professional athlete. Uh, he's got a quiet demeanor. What's your sense of Josh Allen uh, in terms of his, his internal mechanics? Yeah, I, I, I like what I've seen, and I've only been around him since what they showed the rookie showed up in May. So uh, it's about three 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 and a half months of exposure to him but i like what i've seen he, he doesn't appear too quiet to me in fact okay. i've been told he has a great sense of humor that he displays with his teammates i do admire the way he you know he's a he's a young rookie on a team that has a, a, a certain amount of veterans and i like the way he handles the veterans i don't even know handles the right way i like the way he defers to the veterans you know he, he is respectful to the veterans both in his own uh, quarterback room and it seems throughout the roster and appreciate you know, who they are and what they've done in the league and knows that he hasn't played it down in the league yet. And I like that about him, too. You know, he shows the appropriate amount of respect to the veterans. Um, seems like a good student. You know, he's got a, a good upbringing, strong family background. Grew up on a, a farm in Northern California, part of a farming family, and I think is used to the concept of hard work. And, yeah, all reports are good from him, you know, off the field so far. And, again, it's only been three and a half months, but there's a lot to like, I think, about Josh Allen's personality and the way he handles himself. John, it looks like we need some help at wide receiver. What do you think of Des Bryant coming to the Bills? I don't think it'll happen. I don't think he kind of fits the culture that uh, Sean McDermott is looking to build. Uh, they don't have a lot of money either. The Bills don't under the salary cap. Uh, but you're right. You know they are. They they seem to be a little deficient at wide receiver. Uh, Calvin Benjamin is uh, ticketed to be the number one guy, and he's he's you know he's a unique style of wide receiver. Uh, He's not uh, quick. He's big and he's he's wide and 
you know, he's great in the red zone. But I do think the Bills have a need for maybe a, a good, uh, strong-handed, uh, deep receiver. They made an interesting acquisition a week ago when they uh, traded uh, a late-round draft pick in a couple of years to Cleveland for Corey Coleman, a former first-round pick. He was the 15th overall pick in the draft just two years ago. Now, he hasn't played yet. He didn't play Thursday night because he just got to training camp practice on Tuesday. But I think they're going to take a good long look at him. Uh, he was not good in his two years at Cleveland and had, had issues in terms of being ready to play all the time. And there are reports about, you know, he wasn't always in shape and didn't take care of nutritional aspects that he needed to. But I think the Bills are hoping that maybe a, a fresh start for him and a change of venue might ignite what the people saw back two years ago in the draft when he came out of Baylor as the 15th overall pick. Um, they have uh, others, you know, Brandon Riley is a second-year receiver, a, a walk-on in Nebraska, and an undrafted free agent for the Bills a year ago who is big and strong, and uh, some people think he could wind up as a slot receiver. They have Jeremy Curley, who's been around the league a little bit, uh, most notably with the Jets and had a productive year a couple of years ago with New York. Um, they have others. They drafted two receivers, both in the late rounds, Ray Ray McLeod and, and Austin Prohl. I don't know if either one of them is going to challenge for significant playing time this year. So there are questions there. Maybe some of the biggest questions on the roster there at wide receiver. Uh, we're talking to John Murphy. John, uh, Bills have a new offensive coordinator, Brian Dable. And uh, one criticism uh, I have of my beloved Bills is I thought their offense the last few years was I would say uh, pretty predictable, perhaps not as modern, perhaps as an offense, uh, the way the game is going. Are you seeing a difference in in uh, in the offensive schemes so far? I know it's early. Uh, what's your sense of what Brian Dable will bring to the uh, into the how the Bills look from an offensive perspective? Will be they throwing more? Will it be more up tempo? What are you seeing from the offense in terms of uh, in terms of how it shapes up? Yeah, uh, yes, I am seeing a difference, and yes, I, I think it's going to be an improvement. Um, you know, we only have one preseason game worth of evidence to look at, but it, uh, to me, the number one takeaway I got from last Thursday's game against Carolina was not the play of the quarterbacks or some of the others, but uh, the offense. It was it was versatile. It was multiple. Um, they changed personnel on virtually every play in the offensive play in the first half, and they did it sort of effortlessly. You know, there were no. Uh, uh, mix-ups of who's on the field or, or, you know, running out of time, getting a play call in. I was really impressed by that. Um, you know, going into the game, we had a brief conversation with Sean McDermott. We asked him what his goals were for that first preseason game, and he said, um, my number one goal is to have 11 guys on the field. We all laughed. Like, ha, ha, ha. And it turns out he, was, he wasn't kidding. He, with all the personnel substitutions they were going to make, it was important to them to make sure they had the right people and 11 people on the field uh, on every given play. And it was impressive. Um, and I do see, you know, they're utilizing the middle of the field more in the passing game than they have. Uh, they threw it more than they ran it Thursday night. Again, they played that game with uh, LaShawn McCoy on the bench, just giving him the night off. Uh, they have a great, you know, McCoy is a great offensive weapon. They will use him. But I, I said to my broadcast partner last Thursday night, Mark Kelso, at one point, Mark, uh, it, it almost seems like we're witnessing the Bills' offense finally entering the, you know, 21st century NFL, you know, with, with the way they – the move personnel, you know, pre-snap movement, the way they uh, alternated uh, personnel looks and, and personnel com- uh, combinations and formations, and the way they used the whole field in the passing game. It was it was very encouraging. I think the most encouraging thing about Thursday's game, uh, it, you know, I don't know how much of it they're going to, you know, you typically don't uh, display your offensive uh, handiwork during the preseason games. You don't want your opponents to take notes, but 
uh, on game one, based on game one, I'm really encouraged and excited about what they might be offensively. Uh, John, uh, really, really quickly, we've got to let you go, and we thank you so much for taking the time for us this morning. Real quick, uh, what's your prediction? That's always a tough one. <laughs> I'm going to go somewhere between seven and nine wins, which I think is where I was last year, and they won nine. I think there's, you know, McDermott is is such a uh, a focused guy who's got the complete belief of his team. I think he'll get them always playing hard. I think the veterans on this team know that and believe in him. I think there's an infusion of talent on the defensive side of the ball that uh, will let them get better defensively. And I think they're going to win seven, eight, or nine games this year. Uh, certainly hope uh, Naz and I are pulling for the Bills to be back in the playoffs. And then you get in the playoffs and anything can happen. Anyways, we'll, we'll let you go, John. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. We'll stay in touch. And uh, go Bills, go. Thanks, fellas. Good talking with you. Always a pleasure. John uh, John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills. Really quickly, Naz, what's your prediction? Tough schedule. They can go They can go from six wins to 11. That's how tough their schedule is. They're playing a lot of very good teams. Anyways, certainly something to look forward to. Uh, talking about football, we're going to talk about a different type of football. Uh, not the pigskin, but the round one. And on the line, we've got former uh, former Canadian internationaler and can member of the Canada Sports Hall of Fame. We're, uh, of course, talking to Carmine Marcantonio. Carmine, how are you this morning? Hey, Walter. Good morning, Nad. Uh, it's, uh, I'm well. I'm just outside having zipping a coffee and... Uh just feeling great, thank you. Anyways, we wanted to get, want you, we wanted to get you on for a couple of quick minutes this morning, uh, because I know you're involved as part of an organizing committee of a great soccer event that's coming up uh, next weekend, Saturday afternoon, uh, and also Monday night, and it's taking place at the York Lions Stadium at York University. It's called the Toronto Vaughan Under-17 International Soccer Cup. Kainmane, we've got a couple of moments. Tell us all about this great opportunity to watch some great soccer and how our listeners can uh, participate in this international tourney. Yeah, like, like you said, this is the second edition. Uh, you were present last year with the first edition. Uh, between uh, Juventus and uh, under-17 we're talking about. We wish we had the first team with Ronaldo <laughs> this year. It's a big, big, uh, big uh, acquisition by Juventus, but we'll talk about that another in another another occasion. Yeah, the under-17 of Juventus against uh, TFC, under-17. Then we have a select of uh, players from the York region and one uh, select team from Pearl Alton. So two great regions with a lot of local talent. And, of course, we know TFC won the first edition. They actually beat Juventus in the final on, uh, on a shootout and went on a, on a penalty shootout, which is uh, dreadful. But it was a great game. We have uh, some of the showcase uh, great talent uh, under-17s in, uh, in all of Canada and Europe because Juventus, as you know, doesn't have just Italians. They, they pick the top uh, youth. In, in, in the continent and, and even uh, beyond that, uh, because we have also some African players that uh, I think they have one or two from Africa and South America. So it'll be a great event. As Ka- you mentioned, the Ka- first Ka- Ka- minute, I'm going to have to cut you short because you know we're running out of yeah. time. I want you to tell our listeners how do they get tickets. Okay, great. So the tickets right now, the best time it would be to go at the stadium. What you, me- you mentioned, it was uh, York University. Uh, Pan Am uh, Stadium, uh, now called the uh, York Line Stadium, right at the uh, at the at the 
ticket booth. Uh, they could purchase a ticket. And I want to mention one thing. For every ticket that is purchased by the individual, they'll be put in a draw, and uh, they could win a shirt from the Juventus first team. We don't know a signed shirt. We don't know what player. We hope we're going to get try to get Ronaldo, a signed shirt by Ronaldo, because he does a lot of charities. I hope we could get that. If not, it'll be another player. Uh, and one from uh, Jovinko and one from Osorio, the TFC. So we're going to have two shirts will be drawn on a Saturday at the end of the first game, uh, the first uh, event, which will be, first game will be kicked off at 4 o'clock and the second game is at 6 on Saturday. The final is on Monday the 20th and that also will have uh, two shirts drawn. And that, that final, the uh, first game, consolation game is at 6 and the final will be at 8. So, I hope to see all the fans of football, the real football, as I always say, um, and I hope they show up and support two beautiful charities, uh, Mensana for people with you know, mental challenges, and then uh, the Toronto Azuri at-risk kids uh, that live in the corridor of Finch and, uh, and James. Just very, very quickly, Conrad, you know we're tight for time, and yeah, yeah, uh, no. just, to, just to give an idea, I mean, you mentioned that uh, that I was there last year. I was, I was astounded at the quality of the soccer. I mean, you're looking at some extremely talented, uh, perhaps some of these players may, in, in fact, in the future, become world-class players, because one of the players from the Juventus team last year that played in this tournament is now, uh, was playing in against the MLL All-Stars and scored a goal in uh, in the penalty kicks. Tell us a little bit about Nicola Fagioli. Yeah, Nicola Fagioli, he was the captain, number 10, I knew right away you could see the talent, and he was called by a leg in the, to, to join the first team. He toured with Juventus in, in North America, the past two, they played in every, every game that they and the MLS All-Star. He scored the first uh, penalty shootout. Quite a, quite a sensation and for the for the young man. And he's now playing shoulder to shoulder. He's uh, practicing with uh, Ronaldo and, and all the other yeah, great players. So and we don't have to go far because look what happened to Alfonso Davis. From Vancouver, he got just purchased by Bayern Munich, $20 million plus, and he's only 17. So we do have talent in Canada. So these are some of the greatest uh, players, uh, both in North America and Canada, youth players that people can see and watch, and they're going to be future champions. I'm sure there's okay. a few in this edition. Carmina, we're going to have to let you go there, Joe. I just want to announce to our listeners that you and uh, Roberto uh, Iarushi will be in studio next week for the first half of the show, and we'll be talking a little bit more about this tournament, and we'll also be talking at length about Canadian soccer. Carmina, yes. we'll see you next week. Thank you, Walter. Thank you for the support, and uh, all the best to all your listeners, and have a great uh, Sunday. Thanks so much, Carmen and Marcantonio. Wally, what a great name, Nicola Fajoli. (laughs) What an absolute great name. Yeah, and uh, he's my favorite soccer player now. Unbelievable. Uh, anyways, on that note, uh, <laughs> Naz, that's your last word. I always give you the last word Pasta in the show. Pasta Fajoli. Pasta Fajoli. I don't know. You, you, for the first time in five years, Naz, you've left me speechless. <laughs> to all our listeners, have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.